Before we get into today's show, let's talk about one of our sponsors. You guys, I think winding down for sleep may just be one of my favorite parts of my day. Do you agree? I love my sleep, especially after suffering from insomnia in college. That was not fun. So in order to sleep well, I want to make sure my body is supported with quality bedding, mattresses, and pillows. And this is why I love recommending Savvy Rest for all of your sleep needs. Savvy Rest offers sustainable, safe, organic, and comfortable products. So head to SavvyRest.com and use code CAMW for a discount. Now let's listen to the show. Hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? I'm good. I'm in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, they've had these monsoons in Southern California. Oh my God. Yeah. Not necessarily. It's been cloudy and rainy here, but, um, it got sunny for a bit yesterday. And I think the day before it might rain all weekend, but either way, it's been really like cozy and relaxing and, um, yeah, I was born here and I just think that I'll always have a connection to it here. My mom said I loved it when I was a baby here. Um, And then we moved to Maine. So stark difference. So yeah, that's me. How are you? I've always wanted to visit California. I really need to go. Like, you need to I go. Feel like all Come of to my LA. clients are from. <laughs> Gabby's <laughs> inviting me to LA. I was like, yeah, like all of my clients are from California. I feel like a large portion of our audience is from California. I feel like I would have so much fun there. I met with I actually... one of my clients yesterday who lives here. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. She's a friend too, but yeah, she lives here. So cool. One of my friends tells me that I should go on tour and I've talked to you about this too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like just hosting workshops all around the world. Like, would you guys be into that? Um, I think we've talked about like the in-person connection that is just so delicious to me. And I feel like it just makes the biggest difference in my mood in how I show up on a day-to-day basis, like the in-person connection is unparalleled. So I've always, not always, but like within the past couple of years, we've been thinking about visiting various cities and just hosting workshops and meeting, um, people in person. Like that would be so fucking epic. Mm -hmm. Even small, intimate. Oh yeah. Yeah. Small, intimate circles. Stay tuned. Stay we tuned. will be coming to a city near you. <laughs> near you. <laughs> the door. Oh man. All right, you guys. So today we're doing a Q&A episode. I am so excited for this and hopefully um you guys enjoy it. That way we can t- can continue to do more of them. Um I feel like there's only so much that I can say on Instagram stories whether it's on a story slide or a one minute video. I'm just like, there's more, like I want to give you guys, there's depth. I want to add to my responses. So we're giving this a shot and we're seeing how it goes. Um, wanted to say thank you for your questions first and foremost, and also anything that we say in today's episode is just a generalized response. We obviously don't know your full health history. Nothing we say in this episode replaces medical advice ever. So please, if you're not working with a practitioner or a 
physician or someone, please do so if your health warrants it. And with that, we will hop to it. So let's start off with, (laughs) I love this question. Um, Where did you get your jacket? (laughs) And when I posted this, I was wearing a blazer. I actually have a really funny story about this. I don't know if I've talked to you about it, Gabby, but (laughs) everyone in my house knows. I was like freaking out. So I wore this blazer. I got it in 2021 and I was no. Yeah. End of 2021. I was super stoked. I was like, I need this blazer. I don't know why, but like, I need this blazer, even though I don't go to meetings or anything like nothing warrants me to get this blazer, but I thought it was super cute from anthropology. Um, just to answer your question, (laughs) it's from anthropology and I wore it to photo shoot and it was great. Like always get a bunch of compliments on the blazer. But then I put it away in storage. I moved and just, you know, it was, it was springtime and then it was summer and and then fall comes around. I'm like, where is that blazer? And I'm ripping apart our shed and all the boxes. And I'm going like crazy, like looking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between various boxes, like taking everything apart. And I'm like, oh my God, this blazer is gone. Like, I don't, I think I must've like donated it or something. And I was so upset, like to the point of tears. I know that sounds ridiculous. No, I get it. But it was very sentimental because I bought it for myself and I was like, oh, I'm so mad. It was so cute. And then we are taking out our Christmas decor after we had a mice incident. We had two mice in our house. I told you that story, right? (laughs) I don't. Oh, wait. Uh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had, uh, a whole family of mice just come into our house because of this, the stuff in storage. It was just awful. So anyway, um, we are taking out Christmas decor and I opened this box of clothes that I must have skipped over. And it was shit that I like completely forgot about. I'm right on top. There's my blazer. And I'm like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Christmas the best miracle. feeling. Yeah. So I've been really happy wearing it. I actually wore it yesterday. So yeah, to answer your question, anthropology, they have the best stuff. Um, I actually got that question. Have you read the book or have heard of the book? 3000 questions about me? No, I haven't. Oh my God. You guys, if you haven't, my cousin Carlos, if you're listening to this, he put me on, he brought it over for like the day after Christmas. And we all sat around like the family asking each other intimate questions. And it was really beautiful because I don't really have like those kind of sit downs with my family. And we got to just talk about really deep stuff and also really like fun and light stuff as well. There's a good mix. There's 3000 questions in this book and you just choose a random number and you just ask each other these Mm, questions. I love those. I have cards like that. Yeah. Yeah. I love Mm. that. So 3000 questions about me. And one of them was like, if you, if your house is burning down, which, um, articles of clothing would you grab? And I was like, definitely hmm. that blazer. <laughs> <laughs> definitely the blazer. It's so funny how like I get really sentimental to different pieces of clothing too. Um, and when I moved, I have my stuff stored at my mom's right now um, at my parents. And I went back over the holidays and I could not find my shoes. Like, no, I could not find I have a bunch with me that I need, but I wanted my boots. Like my winter boots are really nice and um, warm. <laughs> and I couldn't warm. find them. <laughs> <Warm>. Side eye. <laughs> I love that. Um, 
I couldn't find them anywhere. And so the whole time I was home, I was home for a few weeks. I didn't have winter boots and it was snowing and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then like the day before I left, I was like, I can't leave without knowing where my shoes are. Like it will give me, I will feel uneasy knowing that my shoes mm-hmm. might have been left at my mm-hmm. last house or something. Mm-hmm. And so my mom had been telling me this whole time, she's like, I'm going to help you find them. Let's go do it. So <laughs> I finally... Uh, we finally did it and she went up to my room and I went downstairs into the basement and she literally yells out found them I was like what like why are moms so magical and it's because there was another box on top of them that was stuff that was originally in my room so I was like I wouldn't have put a box underneath anyway it was just they were in my room my whole box of shoes my boots on the top (laughs) but that feeling like you just want to rip or rip apart your whole house I don't know what that is like I will completely demolish a room if I can't find something I get so anxious about it (laughs) oh my gosh and I've only spoken to your mom like twice but gosh she's such a sweet woman so sweet yeah and just like so yeah we'll do anything Aww. moms oh, are the best shout out moms best. <laughs> uh, okay Gabby what are some things that might help acid reflux and in parentheses this person doesn't have a gallbladder mm. yeah so acid reflux and not having a gallbladder it's kind of a double whammy so it totally depends um I'm curious, I have some questions, of course, that I would want to ask, but I'm curious when this person got their gallbladder out and how long they've also been dealing with the acid reflux. Mm. So a big misconception with acid reflux is that you have too much acid. And so the conventional treatment um, that would be given by a doctor is to take an acid reducer. Um, But what's really happening is there are valves in your digestive system and when they get weak or when your stomach doesn't have enough acid, your body overcompensates. And so the acid comes back up through your esophagus because it's really overcompensating and and is overproducing at that point um, or coming back up through the valve like backwards. Mm. So what we really want to support is to have enough stomach acid at baseline that the body doesn't feel like it has to overcompensate there. Mm -hmm. And so some things to focus on there. um, And again, not specific advice, but just some things I would explore with a client um, would be some apple cider vinegar and water can be really helpful to acidify the stomach and just bring ease there. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> potentially some digestive enzymes or digestive bitters, those can be helpful. Um, pancreatic enzymes can be helpful. It's really, we would want to dial in, okay, what are the other symptoms that are going on? Um, and then as far as not having a gallbladder, when you don't have a gallbladder, I'll kind of do like a really quick breakdown mm-hmm. of the gallbladder. So the liver produces bile and then <clears throat> brings it to the gallbladder to store it there. And so the gallbladder is storing this bile that's delivered from the liver. And then when you eat fat, the bile is what breaks down that fat. So into smaller pieces to be digested and absorbed. But when you don't have a gallbladder, 
that process kind of gets halted. Of course, we can live without a gallbladder, but often people are told to be on a low-fat diet. Um, after gallbladder surgery, I actually used to take care of a lot of patients um, post-gallbladder, um, and they were great because they're very simple and straightforward, but the problem is, is that they often have problems later on, and they're not supported properly later on. Um, and so some things you can do there because you're not having that process, that natural process that's happening is you want to consume um, essentially bile. So you can consume ox bile um, to support that process, but we would want to make sure that it's a slow um, consumption. We don't just want to overload your body all of a sudden with this ox bile. Um, and that will help to break down fats. And another thing preventative wise, not preventative to getting your gallbladder out since we're already there, um, that would be another topic, but um, you want to eat really supportive fats. And so avoiding things like seed oils, canola oil, anything that is placing more of a burden on your fat um, mm -hmm. digestion process. Mm -hmm. So avoiding like I said, seed oil, canola oil, um, polyunsaturated fatty acids, of course, you don't have to do, we're going to be exposed to them and, and you might have some in your diet, but just being mindful of them. Um, and then avoiding also things that burden the liver. So high fructose corn syrup, artificial flavors, things like that. Um, yeah, I hope that was helpful. And we can always dive in deeper if we have some more information too. That was great. I often get questions like, do I have to avoid acetic foods if I have acid reflux? Mm. What would you say to that? I think that when you're in the beginning healing phase, quote unquote healing, because we're not really allowed to say healing, but you know what I mean? Um, in that soothing phase, then it can be helpful, but that shouldn't have to be something that you need to do long-term. It can just be helpful to soothe and not be uncomfortable in the meantime, but eventually we should be building up your stomach acid to be able to handle that completely mm -hmm. because the body is acidic. That's the crazy thing about like the alkaline diet and all of these mm -hmm. things, but the body is acidic. We want it to be acidic. The mm -hmm. stomach acid actually kills pathogens. Um, I should so, be able to burn a hole in the ground. Yes. I love that. Um, that reference totally. Yeah. It's super acetic. I remember when I had acid reflux, you guys, it was horrible. And I just kept taking Tums after Tums after Tums. Mm. Like it was helpful in the moment, right? Like that temporary relief, which, um, feels really good, but in the long term, like I just noticed it was getting worse and worse and worse. And then, yeah, actually I had, um, wow. Why am I blanking on the procedure name? Um, is it an endoscopy? Yeah. Yeah. Endoscopy. An endoscopy. Yeah. I had multiple endoscopies and they're like, you have too much acid. Um, and I was like, huh, that's interesting. And so they put me on PPIs again. It was my second mm. time going on Nexium. And I like, I remember this exact moment when I was sitting like after, um, the endoscopy was done and I woke up and I was like already at that point doing a lot of research <laughs> on my own. And I was like, but wait, I thought it was because I didn't have enough stomach acid that I'm exhibiting all these symptoms. And he was like, look, I know that there's a lot on Google, but I'm the doctor. And I was mm. just like, 
oh, okay. Like I didn't speak up in that moment. And I went home, I took the Nexium for like three days and I was like, no, something's wrong. And so I just stopped. And that's when, that's when everything began for me. Um, and I knew it cause I, I started taking, I, d- I did a bunch of things on my own, <laughs> which of course, um, it was confusing and it was overwhelming and I didn't get to where I could have until I learned the, um, uh, NTA curriculum and understood my body's anatomy and stuff, but, um, certain things were helpful. And I was like, I knew it, like it is not enough stomach acid. And when I started taking certain things, like I started feeling better. Um, so that was relieving, but yeah, acid reflux can be really uncomfortable. So we feel you. And And another, yeah. Another thing that's supportive is throat coat tea, uh, the marshmallow root things that really just going to mention. Yeah. And aloe vera too. Yes. Aloe, um, and the inner leaf can be helpful there. And just, if you are going to do any of these supports starting super slow, you don't want to overload. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that is helpful that I actually took at one time when I had H pylori is mastic gum that completely got rid of it. So, yeah. And like understanding too, like that can be a culprit as well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's a reason this is happening, which is right. why saying that you have too much acid is kind of bypassing. Okay. But why? And yes. that's what we do is we go into the why <laughs> asking the question, but why, but why, <laughs> but why? <laughs> yeah. And then you can get even deeper too, into like the nervous system and like the bodily processes that occur naturally when the nervous system is regulated, then we won't really experience symptoms like that. But yeah, there's a lot that you can get into so many different, um, pathways you could go down, but we hope that was a helpful start. Um, all right. So someone asked what is red light good for, uh, red light is super trendy these days. And I think it can be helpful. Like, I think, um, it's one of those things that acts as like a cherry on top kind of thing, you know, um, Mm -hmm. at least that's how I see it. I know it's subjective. Um, But if you have the financial capacity to invest in a red light, then go for it. (laughs) Why not? You know, I'm all about the health and wellness trends Um, and it can be helpful too. So one of the things that I remember using my red light for would be um, putting it directly on my scalp for hair hair growth Um, and then on your skin as well for collagen production. And that can also help with like the skin texture. And like, if you're um, struggling with acne, that can be helpful as well. Obviously, like there are way more foundations as I'm stating that you would want to make sure that you have crossed off, um, before you just immediately jump to spending and investing a lot of money on a red light. Um, but yeah, skin health as well as like chronic pain or inflammation that you're experiencing in your body. I know a lot of people like spot treat, like if they, um, injured themselves, whether they're playing basketball that day and they go home and use the red light therapy, like that can be supportive as well, but there are so many other things, um, that you could do. And also like your body's having a natural response towards an injury. So just being mindful of that, like your body's going to go through its own natural process in order to heal, like kind of the whole things get worse before it gets better. And it's really not about making it go away. It's about just supporting the healing journey the healing process. Um, 
so yeah, that's kind of what I would say about red light. Um, as far as recommendations, I don't know what you've heard Gabby in the health and wellness space, but a couple brands that I've heard of would be sauna space. I know a client of mine has them, um, or has their red light lamp. And I think it's super cute. Um, and it's just like aesthetic. So I really like that. Uh, Gemba red, I've heard like controversial things about juve. I don't even know if I really hear about them anymore, but they're one. Um, think honestly, Biolite. what what is it? There's one I think called BioLite, and <clears throat> doesn't Bond Charge formerly Blue Blocks have one too? The thing you want to make sure is it's low EMF as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Good call. Um, yeah, and I think. One thing that I recommended to my clients and one that I have myself is one off Amazon that probably isn't low enough, but like it's $45 and it's probably not going to have the same effect as one that's like a couple hundred dollars, you know, um, but it could be a great place to get started or just start a fund to start saving for um, one of the low EMF options and go from there. Um, I so, travel yeah. with a red light side. It's not like for placing on your skin or anything or placing near your skin, but I travel with one for like a night light and it's so nice yeah. before bed. It just, oh my God. For a little yeah. from bond charge. Um, yeah, I can put the link in the show notes. Perfect. Um, yeah, I think for me, red light is crucial in the evening. Like I cannot <laughs> just that so or candles. Event. Yeah. If you don't have red that light, or just, candles. Yeah. yeah. I cannot do any fluorescent lighting at all whatsoever in the evenings. Um, and if I am like on my phone, I have the red light filter on If you're on mm-hmm. YouTube watching. <laughs> I just have like a shortcut <laughs> on my lock screen, or if I'm watching TV or something, then I'll put my blue light blockers by RA optics on. Um, but Usually I like to just journal and read right before bed and there's no like there, I have like red light in my bedroom on, it's not like red light therapy, but they're like red light bulbs in my room. Um, Mm -hmm. I just got something in my eye, but, um, yeah, so that's really important for sleep as well and just hormones and everything. Yeah. As we all know. So nice. Beautiful. All right, Gabby, I have a question for you. Um, I feel so uncomfortable with the weight I've put on any tips on how to lose fat respectfully. I love that word respectfully Mm. for my body. Yeah, I really love that approach. So it's Mm -hmm. not just how can I lose fat, but how can I honor my body as I'm getting to a more comfortable place? Mm -hmm. Um, I have so many questions, but just knowing I want to first just offer you so much support in that you deserve to feel really good in your body. And so the approach that I know Kiara and I take here is that we would never tell you, no, you should just embrace your body. Um, Mm. Of course, depending, depending, since we don't know you, if you are underweight significantly, then maybe that's a conversation we would have and maybe refer you. But if this is a general, okay, you used to be somewhere else and now all of a sudden you've gained a lot and you look a lot different and you're uncomfortable, then it's totally valid to want to feel good in your body. And that means feeling strong. And so I love that you said, fat loss too, because weight loss is often 
reducing calories so much that you're, you might see it changing on the scale, but that's because you're also losing tissue and you're losing muscle and maybe you're losing some fat at the same time. But what we really want to do is maintain that muscle while you're losing fat if you need to. Um, and so just some approaches that you can take. There's so many different angles to look at this for because it's very different for people. Um, I would say starting with in the morning, um, are you having a super protein rich breakfast and enough protein throughout the day? I would say at minimum, absolute minimum, um, a hundred grams per protein or a hundred grams of protein per day is really vital and ideally getting those sources from animal meats and animal proteins. Um, to supplement that, I really, I love a protein powder called Promix. That's also one of the reasons that I couldn't take a carry on with me because I took this huge bag of protein powder with me. Um, that's really helpful to supplement, but as far as other approaches, we want to look at um, our, how's your blood sugar? Is your blood sugar all over the place to the point where your body doesn't feel safe enough to release any weight or any fat? Um, and there are so many approaches to blood sugar, but one of them is making sure you have enough protein. Um, if you are under eating for a really long period of time, there often is this protective mechanism that comes in where someone feels like, okay, I'm eating 1200 calories per day. How am I not losing weight? But what I would ask is, and maybe you are, but what I would ask is to be really honest with yourself. Are you actually eating 1200 calories seven days a week or is the day seven you're feeling so undernourished that your body just totally overloads and maybe you eat 3000 calories that day because 1200 is not nearly enough. Um, I'm assuming you have a female body for a female or in general, that's like a toddler amount. Mm -hmm. And so we really want to bring safety by eating enough, but there is something to be said around, um, not eating too much if you are looking to lose fat, but we never want to go to 1200 calories ever. <laughs> um, so there can be kind of a refeeding day where it's totally, you think you're not eating a lot every day, but you really eventually like are making up for it. And there shouldn't be times where you're in a fat loss phase where you're super hungry. If you're super hungry, that's likely affecting your sleep, which also affects your body's ability to um, maintain muscle and release any extra fat. Um, the last part, I feel like I could talk forever on this. This is a big part of my story. Um, but if you have further questions and in the next Q and a definitely ask another one, um, but is mental, emotional health. And so when you are feeling low or struggling emotionally, or your nervous system is just kind of fight or flight all of the time, your body, again, will not feel safe enough. And because of that, you might have habits and physical things that happen because you're not feeling safe emotionally. So you're kind of stuffing down those emotions in other ways, whether that's through overeating, through um, 
foods that might be dysregulating your blood sugar that might be impacting your hormones. So really looking at, okay, how can I, and we'll talk, actually, I think we're going to talk about this after around releasing emotions, but how can you attune to your emotional body um, and really bring safety there? And the last thing I want to say is that you are not doomed. If they say you have PCOS, I'm not sure, but say you have PCOS, you are 1000% not doomed by that. And I think a really good expander in that space is Organic Olivia. She's talking about that a lot recently. She just recently went through this big body journey and, um, she was borderline PCOS and had borderline um, A1C issues, borderline insulin, mm-hmm. but she talks about how this is not a death sentence to being able to be comfortable in your body, and we just have to be smarter about the approach. So that's exactly what Kiara and I do with clients. Um, we can also look at the HTMA and gather information about um specifically the NA, the sodium potassium ratio is the adrenal ratio. And we can look at um, how stressed your body is and how well your body tolerates carbohydrates. Um, I keep saying I'm done (laughs) and I could think of so many things. So I'll stop there. (laughs) Yeah. And the, um, just for clarity, the, the sodium potassium ratio is the, the stress ratio. So the, Mm -hmm. and then the sodium to magnesium ratio is the adrenal ratio. Um, but, oh, I, yeah. Did I say that wrong? No, it's all good. I just wanted to make sure for clarification, yeah, thank but you. that was a really beautiful and thorough response, Gabby. Thanks. And I'm sure that she, hopefully, hopefully you can let us know if you gained some, some insight there that could be supportive to you in your healing. I really don't have that much more to add. Honestly, I think you covered all <laughs> I'm the I'm so bases. passionate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I guess I can say like, I, resemble Gabby's story as well. Like a lot of the weight that I was carrying around was very psychological and emotional. And, um, once I left a certain environment that literally created space in my body and I joy that created space in my body for joy and for laughter and for dancing. And I just, I felt so much more like me again. And, I wasn't stressed. So my system, my nervous system was not stressed anymore. The cascade of stress hormones impacting my sex hormones and so on and so forth. Um, it all shifted for me when I stopped gripping and, and, um, said, okay, like this, I accepted things in my life and that doesn't make it easy either. Like it was very challenging, but, um, yeah, my body felt safe and naturally things started to shift. My weight, um, dropped tremendously. So yeah. Um, just wanted to add that in there, but I think that was great. And onto the, uh, emotional aspect of things, since we're kind of heading in that direction. Um, let me see. All right. So this person asked, how did you get unstuck in life? I don't want to feel passion or I don't feel passionate or wanted. I feel like I can't get out. Yeah. Hmm. I hear you that. And I can just, I can feel the energy attached to that question. And, um, thank you for asking it. Thank you for naming it in your life. And first and foremost, like noticing that about yourself, um, a lot of people may not even come forth and say things like that. So good on you for noticing. Um, yeah, the feeling stuck in life, um, can feel so scary 
and daunting. And then there's this other part of you that's like, come on, like, we gotta just get unstuck, like just move forward and just like, come on. So there's that inner conflict, that inner tension that's being created. And therefore it's just like reinforcing the idea that you are stuck. And so my invitation to you would be to one, first and foremost, um, we can literally feel stuck and what, what I'm gathering, what I'm sensing in the question that you asked is that there's this hopelessness attached to that. And when we think of that in terms of nervous system states, we're looking at that hypo arousal state. So that shutdown, maybe that even that collapsed response. Um, and so how do we kind of inch our way towards that ventral vagal window of tolerance energy? And of course that's going to come back down to doing this nervous system work, which is not an easy feat. And it's a lifelong process in expanding that window of tolerance so that we can spend the majority of our lives there. And that also doesn't mean that we're free of, uh, negativity and we're free of stress and anger and things like that. We just relate to these emotions differently and we don't feel quite as overwhelmed. Like we may feel right now, we feel overwhelmed by this idea of getting stuck in our lives and, oh no, um, kind of that, that, that feeling. So of course, doing the nervous system work is important, but, um, adding to that, I think my invitation to you would be to lean into it as much, um, as counterintuitive as that sounds, right. Cause we're trying to get unstuck, but, um, when we have a part of us, that's constantly trying to say like, come on, come on. Like you just got to push and, um, it working with that part of you, getting to know that part of you. Yeah. Just becoming familiar with it, building a relationship to it that protective part of you that wants to save you, but also being self-led in these moments where you can trust that you will come out of this feeling of feeling stuck and that it's not a forever thing. A lot of what we experience, everything that we experience is temporary. Um, and of course that's only something that you can feel. I can sit here and tell you that, but it has to be a felt experience, but my invitation would be to lean into the stuckness and, um, kind of let go of any idea of coming out of it and trusting that your body will naturally come out of it when it's ready to, because the more we try to force it out of that state, the more it kind of reinforces that pathway of like, oh, I'm stuck and I'm going to be here forever. Um, or the fear of that happening in the first place. So, there's a lot there. <laughs> um, any thoughts, Gabby? I'm curious. Yeah. I'd be so curious what their, um, what her HTMA would say Oof, that as too. far as specifically, yeah. um, the calcium, mm-hmm. um, if you haven't heard of the calcium shell, that can be a very protective mechanism. Yeah. We actually have an episode coming out at the end of the month with Jensen, who is one uh, person that both Kara and I have learned from for the HTMA. And we talk about it there. So stay tuned for that episode. Um, but actually, is that coming out after this? It'll, yeah. It, okay. It, it might have already, yeah. So who knows when the, <laughs> just stay tuned for Jensen. <laughs> um, because that I, I would be so curious if that's what's going on and just supporting your body there too. But I think starting with nervous system and emotional work, um, we need that on board regardless and it can do so much. So yeah, yeah I love everything you said. Thank you. And it, it depends. Yeah. Like some people, um, 
may need to get some more nourishment on board in order to do some of the nervous system work. If we can do both kind of side by side simultaneously, and obviously ebbing and flowing in between what you need most support in at the moment. Um, but that's why we integrate both here, like just nervous system and nutrition support because both matter. And the HTMA is just such a, a wonderful resource if you're healing your nervous system as well. Um, but of course only what you feel led to, because you may not be ready for that yet. And it's only whatever you have capacity for. Mm -hmm. All right. Do you want to give her a couple just like releasing? Um, yeah. So then, um, she also asked how to let go of anger and resentment without later having a major outburst. I feel you like so hard on this one. And I just want to (sighs) like, No matter how much you know, your brilliant brain knows when that limbic brain is hijacked because you get triggered, it's as if you know nothing. 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 It's like you just like us looking for our clothes. We just ripped apart (laughs) our whole house. Yeah. Exactly. Like it just having the most uh, uh, most grace grace for yourself in those moments after those moments occur, after you have an outburst and it's like, oh shit, like that's not what I wanted to do. And I I know better. Why didn't you do better? We are again, reinforcing those pathways of like the inner critic, really just speaking there, like you, you know better. Why don't you do better? Like even though, and that's such subconscious behavior because you may have taken that on from a caregiver as well, or someone in your life that kind of beat themselves up or may have even verbally abused others. Um, and that voice may be more so theirs than it is yours, but, um, yeah, that I just want to say like, have grace for yourself. Um, and so self-regulation obviously is important here. But the thing is, we do not know how to self-regulate until we have met and understood co-regulation. And this is why it's so important for mothers to be with their babies, to pick their babies up when they cry, to not um, have them feel like they've been abandoned because that's how we build our baby's nervous systems. Um, And that's often something that conventional medicine, I don't know about today, but I know it's been, um, a thing to let your baby cry it out in their crib. And, um, yeah, it can be really painful. And also like as adults, now those babies who were left to cry it out are left with digestive issues and all of these things, um, fascial adhesions in their lower abdomens because of the amount of crying that they've done. So, we are now kind of having to step in as mother and father for ourselves and kind of, yeah, as they say, like reparent, um, and what a gift that is. And also I want to, uh, validate the duality of like how unfair that is as well, because I think a lot of us really desired that in which we had that emotional attunement, despite having our basic needs met. And those are often the people who are, who are most quote unquote traumatized in today's world. Um, the most affluent of households, um, have severe trauma. Um, and we may not even be aware of it yet, but 
going back uh, to the self-regulation. So again, having to understand and learn co-regulation. And this is why I work with clients one-on-one to offer that co-regulation with them. We regulate together inside of a somatic experiencing session. Um, And also you can co-regulate with the environment around you um, when you get that felt sense of what safety feels like. So nature immediately is very regulating for me. I feel very connected to the earth and the world around me. And so some cues of safety that I would look for in my body would feel like my, my shoulders are dropping. My heart is opening. My chest is expanding. My belly feels soft. My jaw feels soft and it's, it's not holding any tension. Um, I don't have any racing thoughts. Like I have that sense of settling in my body. And so that's what we're looking for when we are trying to self-regulate. But if we don't know how to go about that process, it can be very challenging to self-regulate and it can take some systems a really long time to understand what self-regulation actually feels like, or even be able to be remotely close to it, just depending on the system and how much survival stress is in that system. Um, and so for me, it's always looking like, uh, self-validation first and foremost, it can be so easy to kind of deny how you're feeling, push the feeling away. It doesn't make sense, blah, blah, blah. Um, pausing that and saying, okay, I'm noticing, I feel activated in my heart because so-and-so said this, um, maybe even placing a hand on your heart space and saying, okay, I'm feeling this way and it's okay to feel this way. Noticing that just the self-validation in and of itself can be, can do wonders. And then from this space, what can you do to resource yourself? So maybe first it's pausing and being with that, depending on the level of activation. Sometimes it may be reaching out to a friend in those moments, or even a therapist or a practitioner or someone that you have access to in those moments, often we don't, right? And that's why it's called self-regulation. But um, maybe a friend who can just like sit there and hold space for you without trying to fix it and just witnessing you in those moments and maybe even holding you. Um, sometimes we don't have access to people and they're busy, right? Um, and so resources like swaying side to side or even rocking that can mimic you know, a mother's soothing, um, to a baby. Um, I'm trying to think you can place your right hand underneath your left armpit and your left hand on your right shoulder and kind of just hold yourself in those moments and just being with the activation, building a relationship to it, um, asking it to tell you more, right. Cause then that's how we really get to understand these parts of us build a relationship with them and work together as a system, as a family system. And so when, when they begin to tell you more, you peel back all these layers and and then you meet the exiled parts of you that may just need your, your love and presence in those moments. Um, and then you may have a release, like an emotion is released. Um, if that is anger, it's, it's really important to work carefully with anger because I think so often 
many of us just want to like go crazy um, and start punching things and start screaming at the top of our lungs. And I think that can be really beautiful and cathartic, maybe for someone who's even coming out of freeze. Um, but tracking sensation all the while is really important too. So moving with some in the somatic world, moving very, very slowly is important too. So first noticing the anger that's building up in your system, which is also a protective part of you. So what is that protective part of you protecting? And then that's how you usually meet your exile. Um, noticing where that anger exists in your body and then creating a safe container for it. So that may not always be accessible and available to you when you're actually experiencing that activation, right? So always speaking with those part, parts of you in the moment, letting them know that you will tend to them. You just can't do it right now, but acknowledging that it's there and then always coming back to it. Cause that's also how we develop trust with those protective parts. And so then when you do have the safe space to express and release that anger, how would that anger like to move? Ask the anger, how would this anger like to move? How would this energy like to move? Cause that's really all it is. Um, <clears throat> and then doing so, but again, moving slowly, sometimes a loud scream doesn't even need to come out. Maybe it's a silent scream. Often when I work with clients as well, they don't feel safe to use their voice. And that's often when, you know, people re repress their anger that they don't feel angry all the time. And that, I was just having a conversation with someone the other day and she was like, I just don't see the point in being angry yet. There's so much that has happened in her history. That was like, wow, <laughs> that would make anyone angry. But, and also this person has a calcium shell. So it's very hard to make contact with sensation. And also this person has hypothyroidism. So we can think of like the thyroid and being able to use your voice, et cetera. So there's a lot there and it's important to move slowly. And so sometimes just a silent scream can be enough. Sometimes just putting your hands in fists can be enough. Sometimes it is stomping, right? Um, sometimes it is punching a pillow. It's going to vary for each person. Maybe it is punching the air, but moving and tracking sensation slowly. So I'm not punching the air like crazy. I'm punching the air intentionally and tracking sensation because sometimes that can re-traumatize when we go too fast. That's the whole reasoning behind that. So moving slowly, if we can have an empathetic witness present even better. Um, and then after you release the anger, always coming back to your system, always coming back to your body, always coming back to these parts of you and offering yourself energy. So the calm connected self, the witness, um, can that be online? The curiosity, the compassion, can that be online? And when you're there holding yourself, it usually takes about 15 minutes to kind of self-regulate from that activation. So it takes some time to be with our emotions. It takes the effort in carving out space for our emotions. And this is often why we are left with stored emotion is because we don't give ourselves that space in today's modern society. So, um, yeah, there's a lot <laughs> to where I feel like I just rambled on for 20 minutes, but, um, there's a lot there is my point. Mm -hmm. So, um, I hope that was helpful for you. So much there. I was laughing like halfway through because I, when you were talking about um, just storing things, I think, and 
I was also someone that growing up, I didn't feel a lot of anger. It was very rare when I felt anger, but in 2020, I would say I started to feel anger and it was covering up or there was so much um, grief and pain that was going on and anger is often protecting that. Um, But for me, I often felt that grief and sadness before anger. So when the anger came, I was so confused, like, what is going on? Why am I so angry? And later on, um, I did something that I'm not going to share that is funny now. And we both laugh about it now, but I did something to release that anger that I was like shocked at. I could not believe that I did it um, with another person and it wasn't abusive or anything like that. I don't want anyone to think anything crazy, but um, when you start to release it and when you start to confront the anger in your body, it's crazy what can happen to, um, because it's been suppressed for so long. And if you've been in pain for so long, it, that feeling, I can feel it just thinking about it. I can feel the anger just start to bubble up because it is so potent. And clearly I probably have more releasing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But just know that it's a normal um, emotion and you're not crazy or wrong or bad for feeling it. It's actually a huge part of healing trauma, Mm -hmm. healthy aggression, healthy anger. And we really can't move forward unless we're able to express that in some capacity. And I love what you mentioned of like, this wasn't abusive or anything. I want to like add a quick note on that. If (laughs) you happen to release anger at someone in the moment, um, and they're not aware of the work that you're doing and it's more so targeted. Yeah. It can be considered abuse. Of course, I don't, I love the book, no bad parts by Dr. Richard Schwartz. He's the creator of internal family systems and parts work. Um, none of us in this world have intentional, uh, bad parts. Like we're not trying to intentionally harm someone when we're all reacting from our own wounds and stuff. Um, And that really is what it is. Like when someone is expressing their anger, it's like, oh, like who hurt you Mm -hmm. or or what happened? Tell me more. Yeah, exactly. Um, And also like work, you'll get better. Like in the moment, like when you are activated with someone, like I'm just thinking in terms of relationships and stuff, like, I feel like that's, what's been mirrored to me. Um, When my anger gets activated, it's, um, it's in the moment in a conversation. And I notice that anger there, like directly, like in the center of my being. And I'm starting to notice like this heat rising in my chest and you, it's a very somatic experience. Right. Um, and you'll get better with practice once you notice like, Oh, there's activation responding instead of reacting, pausing. But also as, as I stated before, (laughs) sometimes it's as if you forget everything and it's just like your limbic brain has been hijacked. Obviously, I think depending on the severity of the activation, the intensity of the activation, it matters too. Sometimes you can be with activation more so than other times. And depending on how much sleep you got that night, depending on how nourished you are that night, depending on if you had caffeine, I was feeling anxious this morning and I was like, Oh my gosh, I had matcha and I've not really been drinking caffeine. And even Mm. with breakfast, it's like, I, yeah, just having a lot of grace for yourself and yeah. there can be external causes. Yeah, you know? exactly. And when it is, when you do have more capacity in your system as well, you can be with 
the activation more. So that's when that nervous system regulation comes into play and you can start having conversations like when you did X, Y, Z, I felt X, Y, Z, or maybe it's a conversation that you come back to after you guys have had some time to settle. A walk is a beautiful way. A walk, discharge that sympathetic energy. Exactly. Every single time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Walks are great. Um, Yeah. That's another resource. Like, as I was mentioning earlier, whether it's like punching something or whatever, like walking, walking can be a nice way to discharge that energy and coming back to the space together when you're more settled and regulated to have, uh, an adult conversation. When you did this, I felt X, Y, Z, I wish you X, Y, Z and, and going from there. Um, which is so hard. The amount of times it's so hard to do, but it mm-hmm. is so much better every time you do and so much more rewarding. Practice. You, yeah. But in the moment, you're just like, no, a lot of people, at least you're just like, no, I just want to get it done now. I want to say what's on my mind now. This isn't fair. This is horrible. And um, you can still say things that are on your mind after coming back from the walk. Um, mm-hmm. But it is, wow. I don't know about you guys, but it is a hard thing for me to do. <laughs> I want to <laughs> get it done right then and there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's usually the case with a lot of people. And um, then you can go into like attachment styles and everything. Mm-hmm. I think the more awareness one has, the more you can kind of work with. And also like having conversations with your partners when you guys aren't activated, just like casual conversation, like, Hey, yeah, this is how I respond to things. And this is how, um, this is my like attachment style, um, in this relationship, this is how it feels and how can we support each other? Cause you obviously have this attachment style and how can I support you? Like what feels most supportive to you? So always working together as a unit, because you guys obviously, um, want to be together for a reason. And, and sometimes that doesn't always work either too. So yeah, there's a lot there that we can get into. I hope I'm avoided in my next relationship. I hope <laughs> I'm not the anxious one. <laughs> I hope I'm secure. Well, like, obviously, but if secure. we're if we're gonna be one or the other, I choose avoidant. So, future man, you get to be anxious. Well, it is so painful to be an avoidant. Either way, I think yeah. both are so <laughs> in so much pain. Like it just the avoidants know, have a better way of joking. like hiding yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It just but, feels um, like it would be better to be on the other side, but I know it's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, loves. Well, I think that's all we have for questions today. Let us know what you think by leaving a review or rating in um an Apple podcast. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, leave us a comment. Um, be sure to subscribe and yeah, hopefully we get to do more of these. Bye. We'll see you soon. Bye.